This is TW News, live from Berlin. The German government calls Russia's decision to ban this network, Deutsche Welle, unacceptable. Russia has also closed down DW's Moscow bureau and revoked accreditations for our reporters there. It follows Germany's decision to ban German-language programming of Russia's state broadcaster RT in Germany. And a major blow to the so-called Islamic State. Last night's operation took a major terrorist leader off the battlefield. President Joe Biden says the leader of the Islamic State group blew himself up as U.S. Special Forces approached during a raid in northwest Syria. And there are just hours left until the opening ceremony of the Beijing Winter Olympics. With the coronavirus pandemic looming, we hear about life inside the Beijing bubble. I'm Gerhard Elfers. Welcome to the program. The German government has condemned Moscow's decision to shut down the Russian operations of Deutsche Welle. Germany's foreign ministry said the decision would put a renewed strain on German-Russian relations. Authorities there have closed down DW's office in Moscow, revoked accreditations for all our journalists there and banned DW broadcasts in Russia as of today. It's being seen as a tit-for-tat move. German media regulators banned the German language programming of Russian state broadcaster RT the day before because it doesn't have a broadcasting license for Germany. Deutsche Welle's Moscow office has to close, by order of the Russian government. The decision came after Germany's media regulators banned German-language programming of Russia's state media broadcaster RT for operating without a German broadcasting license. DW's director-general, Peter Limburg, called the Russian government's decision a disappointment and a total overreaction. This is another sign that Russia is not interested in, uh, and the Russian government is not interested in press freedom and freedom of opinion, but I can only say, um, even if we have to leave the country, we will I intensify reporting on the country. So I think this must be also clear to the Russian side that we will not just ignore what's happening in Russia, we will report and we will do more and more. For the team at DW's Moscow studio, losing their press accreditation in Russia takes a more personal toll. Yeah, that affects correspondents, producers, cameramen, editors and so on. Um, according to Russian law, they are now no longer allowed to work for Deutsche Welle. And let me say on a personal note, for me personally and for all people who support our coverage from Russia, this is a big shock. Uh, I've been the bureau chief and correspondent for Deutsche Welle here in Moscow for seven years. And like all my colleagues, I have loved reporting from Russia even more. We all were, are and will stay passionate, uh, passionate fans of Russia. By Russia, I don't necessarily mean Russian politics, but uh, the people of this great country. For now, DW is weighing its options and considering possible legal avenues. I'd like to add an editorial note here. We'd like to stress that the statement from our Moscow bureau chief, Yuri Rischetto, in that report was recorded yesterday, February 3rd. Now, Russia's ban of DW comes as German Chancellor Olaf Scholz prepares a trip to Moscow for talks about the crisis in Ukraine. Scholz called the buildup of Russian troops on Ukraine's border very serious and said any invasion would come with consequences. The German Chancellor has been under pressure from other NATO members to take a harder line on Russia. 
Now let's bring in our chief political correspondent, Melinda Cray. Melinda, so another issue has been added to Chancellor Scholz's agenda. What has the government been saying so far? Well, the German Federal Minister for Culture and Media, Claudia Roth, uh, criticized uh, the decision quite emphatically yesterday and said that Russia is drawing a false equivalence between uh, Russia Today and Deutsche Welle. And she said that the broadcasting ban uh, that Russia has now imposed is wholly unacceptable, quote unquote, and said uh, that DW is an independent organization, meaning that unlike Russia Today, the German government does not steer broadcasting content. As you know, uh, Gerhard DW is an independent broadcaster funded by taxpayers, but we are not a state broadcaster as Russia Today is. And the foreign ministry of Germany made the same point yesterday, saying that Moscow's measures have no basis whatsoever, quote unquote, and add up to a new strain on German-Russian relations. And they too rejected that equivalence between RT and DW. And you know, the German foreign minister, uh, Annalena Baer, pointed this out directly to Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov when she visited Moscow in January, saying German history, which involved uh, Nazi uh, control of the media, German history had led to the fact that German licensing authorities simply do not give licenses to state broadcasters. Well, this all comes at a time when German-Russian relationships uh, are pretty fraught, right? Absolutely. You know, going all the way back to 2015, when there was a major uh, cyber attack on the German parliament, the Bundestag, which was uh, later definitively proven to have come from Russian hackers. And then we've also seen cyber attacks on leading German politicians, uh, especially uh, from the CDU, uh, Chancellor Merkel's party. We've seen the poisoning of a, uh, a, a former Chechen commander right here in in Berlin in the middle of the daytime in a city park, again, attributed to uh, Russia. And then, of course, the treatment of Alexei Navalny after he returned from being treated for poisoning in a German hospital, promptly arrested for a parole violation for not attending a meeting he couldn't attend because he was in a hospital. So with all of that, already on the plate. Now we also have the tensions over Ukraine and in particular over how Germany will react, whether it will hold on to its project, uh, which always the, the, the German authorities claim to be a private project of the gas pipeline, that uh, Nord Stream 2, that would bring gas directly from Russia to Germany. So lots and lots of issues on Chancellor Schultz's agenda indeed. Well, Scholz is being urged by NATO partners to take a tougher line on Russia. There's a perception that he has only been in office for a couple of months. OK, but he's been sitting on the fence. Is that likely to change now? We are already uh, hearing some movement uh, from him, uh, even more so from the foreign ministry. Annalena Baerbock has made it quite clear that uh, she is working with other European partners on what she called a tough package of sanctions that would include Nord Stream 2. She said basically everything's on the table. This week, Chancellor Schultz also said it's very important to coordinate with EU partners at that central to Germany. And he said that it's 
also very, very important that Germany send a clear message that there will be a very high price, as he put it. Didn't mention Nord Stream, but said high price. And, you know, he'll be traveling not just to Moscow, but also to Washington before the meeting in Moscow. So undoubtedly, that's a message that he will be firming up, I think, in that meeting. Melinda Crane there. Thank you very much, Melinda. U.S. President Joe Biden has announced that the leader of the so-called Islamic State has died during an overnight raid by U.S. Special Forces in Syria. The news comes as concerns are growing that IS may be trying to regroup in the region. A collapsed roof and a dead terrorist leader. The result of a U.S. Special Forces raid in the pre-dawn hours on Thursday morning in a Syrian village near the Turkish border. Abu Ibrahim al-Hashemi al-Karashi reportedly blew himself up as about two dozen troops, backed by air support, moved in on a house he was in. Karashi was considered the head of so-called Islamic State. He took over the terrorist group when his predecessor died much the same way in 2019. U.S. President Joe Biden told reporters after the raid that the group, while smaller than a few years ago, is still dangerous. He referred to Karashi by his other name, Haj Abdullah. ISIS has directed terrorist operations targeting Americans, our allies and our partners, and countless civilians in the Middle East, Africa, and in South Asia. Haji Abdullah oversaw the spread of ISIS-affiliated terrorist groups around the world after savaging communities and murdering innocents. U.S. officials say the operation Biden ordered took weeks to plan. It happened amid growing concerns that IS may be trying to regroup. In January, IS attacked a prison in northeast Syria in an effort to free its fighters held there. It took days for U.S.-backed Kurdish forces to retake the prison, killing hundreds in the process. No Americans were harmed in the overnight raid on Al-Karashi's home, despite an exchange of gunfire and one helicopter making a forced landing due to mechanical issues. At least 13 other people, including other fighters, women and children, were killed as well. U.S. officials attribute the deaths to Al-Karashi's own bomb. They said they chose to risk putting boots on the ground rather than an airstrike to avoid civilian casualties. The U.S. military has been under pressure to review its targeted strikes, some of which have killed more civilians than initially reported. Let's have a look now at some of the other stories making headlines today. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has lost four more key aides as his popularity plummets over lockdown parties. Johnson's chief of staff, his private secretary and his communications director have all resigned. And his policy unit chief, Munira Mirza, quit over Johnson's controversial comments on Monday when he attacked opposition Labour leader Keir Starmer. Northern Ireland's First Minister has resigned in protest at post-Brexit trade rules. He stepped down after one of his ministers tried to block the inspection of goods arriving from other parts of the UK. The region is facing fresh tension over the Brexit protocol that keeps Northern Ireland in the EU's single market. The Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, has asked the regime that seized power in Burkina Faso last week to propose an election timetable. The group held an emergency summit in Ghana's capital, Accra, to discuss measures against Burkina Faso.
as well as what the group called a dangerous trend of military power grabs in the region. Now, we're just hours away from the opening ceremony of the Beijing Winter Olympics. But the coronavirus pandemic isn't the only issue looming over the Games. China's human rights abuses are also in the spotlight. With less than 24 hours until the Games officially open, the political clouds over Beijing show no signs of clearing, despite the repeated efforts of IOC President Thomas Bach to resist what he views as the instrumentalization of the Olympics. The ancient Greeks knew that, uh, that uh, if uh, the, the Games would be used uh, for, uh, would, would come in between the, the, the political tensions, which were high at the time, between uh, Sparta and Athens and, and, and others, if uh, the Games would not be considered to be neutral they would not have uh, survived there for 1,000 years. Australian Open spectators were accused last month by China of politicising sport after tennis fans handed out Where's Peng Shui t-shirts. Bach confirmed that he will meet the Chinese tennis star who disappeared from public life in November after she accused a high-ranking Communist Party official of sexual assault. Peng Shui later retracted that allegation, though there are concerns she may have done so under duress. It's a necessity then to, to respect her and then to listen to her and how she sees uh, the situation, how she wants uh, to, uh, to live uh, her, her, her life. China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims here in Xinjiang province has prompted countries like the US and the UK to stage a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Games. Asked for comment, Bach cited his no-politics pledge. The uh, position of uh, the, the IOC uh, must be, given the uh, political uh, neutrality, that uh, we are not uh, commenting on uh, political uh, uh, issues. As the curtain rises on a Beijing Olympics surrounded by political intrigue, Bach's insistence that they be kept out of the Games remains unwavering. You're watching DW News. Here's a reminder of the top stories we're following for you. DW has condemned Russia's decision to ban this network. DW Director General Peter Limburg called the move by Moscow a total overreaction and promised legal action. Russia said it was shuttering DW's Moscow bureau after Berlin banned German language programming of Russia's state broadcaster RT due its lack of a broadcasting license. That's it from me and the news team. Uh, don't go away, though. Stephen Beardsley will have your business update. That's coming up right now. Are you ready to get a little more extreme? These places in Europe are smashing all the records. Step into a bold adventure. Just don't lose your grip. It's the treasure map for modern globetrotters. Discover some of Europe's record-breaking sites on Euromax, YouTube, and now also in book form. What people have to say matters to us. That's why we listen to their stories. 
Reporter. Every weekend on DW. Meta crashes on Wall Street and brings a big chunk of the tech sector down with it. A whopping 26% loss for the session. That's more than $230 billion in loss value. Did the tech giant's numbers merit it? Or did they touch a nerve among investors? Also on the show, stubborn inflation spurs Europe's central bank to open the door to earlier tightening measures. But what are the ECB's options when energy costs are behind the price hikes? And vendors in Beijing are going for gold with Olympic merchandise, but bracing for disappointment. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stephen Beardsley in Berlin. It's good to have you with us. Shares of Facebook owner Meta plunged more than 26% in trading on Thursday, knocking more than $230 billion off the company's market value and pushing tech stocks to broad losses. It's the biggest one-day fall of any U.S. company on record. Chief Executive Mark Zuckerberg had warned investors in a call on Wednesday that Meta expected revenues to decline during the first quarter of this year due to competition from rivals such as TikTok. Over now to Yen's quarter in New York. Yen's 26% is massive. To what extent was this merited? <laughs> to what extent are investors there pretty jittery? Well, I mean, uh, definitely an incredible uh, move that we saw here on uh, Thursday. And if companies uh, like Netflix um, have some uh, little challenges in their earnings reports, uh, obviously Wall Street at this point is um, showing uh, no uh, mercy. I mean, with some companies, we've seen that with Netflix a couple of uh, weeks ago. We saw that with uh, PayPal just the day prior. We've seen it uh, now with um, uh, Meta. Uh, so there are some fundamental uh, challenges for for those companies and there's also something wrong in the earnings so this is uh, one explanation but definitely not um, the only one we've already seen it early on um, this year that there is a certain rotation going on from those tech shares that have been on an incredible ride in the past uh, one and a half years more um, into a cyclical stocks but that also has mm -hmm. dried out so at this point there's just a massive pressure um, on the stock market and that really shows you those huge swings also that we're seeing the market is very nervous at this point. Jens, briefly, if you can, this money that's leaving tech, where's it going? Well, at this point, not necessarily in other stocks, but for example, in energy, um, if you look at the oil price, for example, that was up here on Thursday by a good 2% and uh, oil uh, so West Texas Intermediate that gets traded here in New York is um, above the $90 mark per barrel for the very first time uh, since 2014. I mean, we've also seen oil stocks profiting from uh, that trend, but uh, that is uh, one sector at least um, uh, that is um, on the upside at this point. Jens Korda in New York, thank you very much. Well, earlier I spoke with Alison Stewart-Allen of International Marketing Partners in London, and I asked her to what extent Facebook's troubles, especially with user numbers and advertising, were a surprise. This has been a slow build-up, and uh, at some point or other, uh, the users, uh, the commercial model maybe of Facebook is up for uh, debate. You know, 
TikTok is eating their lunch in terms of younger users who are abandoning the Facebook platform. Uh, they're finding uh, more safety, perhaps, uh, through the other uh, platforms instead of on Facebook. Uh, so there have been a lot of little incremental things that have been going on in that company, not least its corporate culture. You know, it wasn't that long ago, only a few months ago, actually, that Francis Hogan uh, was telling all of us about the research Facebook had on uh, the impact, the effects psychologically, uh, on young girls and younger users uh, of, uh, of Facebook, which Facebook had and even commissioned. So, you know, I think in aggregate, these uh, little Things have now come together, uh, and we're now seeing a company that hopefully is being a little more introspective and asking itself, how did we get here, and how are we going to get fixed? Is there a answer to turning it around in the near to midterm? Briefly, if you can. Uh, very briefly, there's no one magic bullet. It's going to be a combination of things, but the starting point is the culture. Allison Stewart Allen, International Marketing Partners, thank you very much. Thank you. Borrowing rates in the Eurozone will remain unchanged following a meeting of the ECB Governing Council today. Remarks by President Christine Lagarde suggest that, however, the door was open to tightening measures later this year. Lagarde warned inflation was likely to persist and declined to rule out a rate hike before 2023. Rising energy costs have driven up prices across the EU. Growth rates remain slow, however, worrying some economists that hiking rates too soon might be damaging. Carson Jeske is global head of macro for ING Research. Uh, Carson, you wrote today that Lagarde's appearance marked an important hawkish, hawkish shift, I should say. What did you mean with that? Well, the uh, Lagarde actually opened the door to, to a faster uh, reduction of asset purchases. And she opened the door to, to a rate hike even this year. So this was an enormous shift in the position of the ECB, which until now, has always been more or less denying the inflationary pressure, has always told financial markets and, and European citizens um, that there was no way that the ECB would start tightening monetary policy. So therefore, today was remarkable. Growth is still relatively weak across the EU. Inflation is tenacious, which, as you mentioned, Lagarde also referred to as well, those inflation issues. How difficult a tightrope walk is this for the ECB to know exactly when to begin raising rates? Well, it is an enormous tightrope because on, on the one hand, they know there is nothing they could do in the short run to bring down inflation. There's nothing the ECB can do would lower energy costs or would uh, reduce the, the, the cost for microchips. But they know that they should prepare, that they should withdraw the so-called monetary stimulus. Um, and uh, the economy is strong enough, by the way. The Eurozone economy has returned to pre-crisis level at the end of last year. Uh, unemployment rates are low. So we might be stronger, but I think there is a point to be made to not overstimulate the economy. And this is what the ECB is now trying to do, gradually withdraw stimulus without hurting the economy. There has been this larger debate about the nature of this inflation, whether it is transitory or not. We've seen that also in the U.S., although, as you mentioned, energy prices so much at the core of inflation here. Has this debate in any way abated or is it only going to continue about the nature of this inflation that we're seeing in Europe? 
Well, I think we should forget about this story about team transitory versus team permanent. It's nonsense. Uh, I think what we see right now is an inflation which is simply driven by the disruption caused by the pandemic and the lockdowns. And this can continue, of course, it will continue until we finally reach this point at, at which the economy is back in, in a new equilibrium. This might be the summer, this might be late this year, this might even be 2023. But we should forget about transitory and permanent. What is more important afterwards is what are the structural factors driving inflation beyond the pandemic impact? And that could be decarbonization, deglobalization, and also demographics. And these all argue in favor of somewhat higher inflation. Hence, the ECB is well advised to now withdraw fiscal monetary stimulus and, and start considering at least first rate hikes. Carson Jeske, ING Research, thank you very much. Well, the Winter Olympics in Beijing should be a cash cow for local businesses, serving spectators, athletes, workers. However, the country's resurgence in COVID-19 cases and the strong measures put in place to minimize infections have made that unlikely. Still, some firms are hoping for a boost. At this sports store, just a stone's throw away from Beijing's Bird's Nest Stadium, racks are filled with winter gear featuring the Chinese flag. Businesses are hoping national pride will help boost sales in the run-up to the Winter Olympics. Overall, it's good, but things may become uncertain. Anyway, now business is mostly done online. The big concern for brick-and-mortar retailers in particular is the resurgence of COVID-19 that's put the Chinese capital on edge. Authorities have imposed fresh restrictions on people traveling to Beijing. Visitors need to take a nucleic test within 72 hours of arriving. Organizers of the game also announced last week that tickets won't go up for sale to the general public, meaning fewer visitors are likely to come. Despite not having to rely on foot traffic, online retailers are struggling too. Government data showed consumer spending on physical goods, which accounts for the bulk of e-commerce, grew at its slowest pace on record in 2021. China's lockdowns and other pandemic controls have cast a shadow over consumer sentiment. And economists warn that the high transmissibility of the Omicron variant means tougher and more frequent COVID restrictions could be in store. Recently, Beijing reported its first locally transmitted case of the Omicron strain. As authorities step up efforts to prevent its spread, businesses banking on a boost from the Winter Games may be left disappointed. Still, China is eyeing the event as a long-term driver for growth. At this factory in Jiangjiakou in Hebei province, which will host some alpine competitions, workers churn out about a thousand pairs of ice skates a day. It's located in a purpose-built park for sports equipment set up in 2018. Nearly all of the goods manufactured are exported overseas. The city hopes the Games will raise its profile as a center for the winter sports industry. We are still emerging. In the future, we should increase infrastructure and construction, strengthen investment attraction, and attract and cultivate more industrial projects to settle in the park. Despite the challenges that have come with recent outbreaks of COVID-19, overall factory production in China has remained resilient. But to keep factories like this gliding ahead, they'll need to avoid disruptions brought on by China's tight pandemic restrictions. 
Here's a reminder of the top business story we're following for you. Shares of Facebook owner Meta plunged more than 26% in trading on Thursday, knocking more than $230 billion off the company's market value. That's the biggest one-day fall of any U.S. company on record. And that's it for me and the DW business team here in Berlin. You can find out more about these and other stories online, dw.com slash business. We're also on YouTube under DW News. Thanks for watching. accelerating while restrictions are intensifying once again. But are these measures enough to stop the spread of Omicron? Facts, data, and reports. COVID-19 special. Next on DW. To the point. Strong opinions, clear positions, international perspectives. Turkey's soaring inflation and plunging currency bring down a president sometimes referred to as Teflon Tayyip for his ability to deflect crises. Economic pain is provoking doubt even among staunch supporters. Can Turkey survive Erdogan? Find out on To The Point. To The Point. In 60 minutes on DW. One of mankind's oldest ambitions could be within reach. What if it really is possible to reverse aging? Researchers and scientists all over the world are in a race against time. They are peers and rivals with one daring goal to outsmart nature. More Life starts February 16th on DW.